for any of you that know about interfaith, um, we always have a theme of the year. Uh, and that theme of the year always has to rhyme. <laughs> I mean, for all of you that have t-shirts, y'all probably see that. Uh, always has to rhyme. We always have a theme, a vision for the year. And for this year, our, our theme is He Intervenes in 2015. Amen? He Intervenes in 2015. So tonight, I want to, uh, I want to speak on that a little bit. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Now, before I get into uh, what this verse is, is teaching us and telling us, I always like to, to give a little bit of context, a little bit of backstory about what's going on uh, in this passage. First um, Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to uh, his, uh, his child in the faith, if you will, Timothy. Um, Timothy uh, was a young guy. Uh, probably in his uh, his late 20s, early 30s. And uh, Timothy had a reputation for godliness. How many of you know a reputation for godliness goes a long way? You know, it opens a lot of doors. Uh, God will make a way for those that are godly. So Paul is, is writing to Timothy. Timothy is has taken over a church in Ephesus. He's the, the pastor of that church. And Paul is giving him some instructions. Um, so looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, the Ephesian church had evidently stopped praying for the lost. That was what Paul was hearing down the pipeline. He stopped praying for the lost. Um, since the beginning of chapter 2, Paul says to make that a priority again. Uh, the Jewish false teachers in Ephesus would have certainly put a stop to these evangelistic prayers uh, because of their teachings saying that salvation was for only for Jews and Gentiles who were proselytes, basically Gentiles who believed in the Jewish faith and kind of got grafted in. Um, so Paul is uh, encouraging the congregation to start praying for the lost. And Paul starts out chapter 2 by saying, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, looking at these two verses, let's look at our own lives for a second. Are we praying for the lost? Are we looking outside of our four walls, as Christine was saying? Um, do we have the lost in mind as we wake up, uh, have our breakfast and go about our day? Uh, do we intercede for the unsaved on the job site? Those that work next to us. You know, we all have those. You know, I, before I was in the ministry, I worked as a salesman, uh, for a cell phone company. And, you know, my job wasn't, wasn't any more special than anyone else's. You run into, ungodly people on the job site. That's that's the world. That's the, the system we live in. 
Um, do we think about that? Do we intercede for those men and women that work beside us? Um, you know, I'll dare take it one step further, guys. Uh, in addition to our prayers, are we making an effort to reach them? Are we, uh, when we go to the grocery store, do we just go to buy groceries? Or do we go to reach out to an unsaved person at the store? Um, I know when I go to the store, um, I don't know if many of you guys have heard of The Way of the Master, with Ray Comfort and Kurt Cameron. Awesome ministry. I highly recommend you guys look up that ministry. But they sell like a, a, an assortment of gospel tracks. I'll always keep some gospel tracks on me just in case I run into that person that I can strike up a conversation with and just give them a track as an icebreaker and it has the gospel written on it. Very, very easy way to plant the seed and share the gospel with someone. I always try to do it with the checkout lady at the grocery store. But, you know, sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't, even still. And, you know, that causes conviction in my own heart because, you know, what if that lady or what if that man needed that lifeline right then and there? So are we thinking about that in our minds on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute minute basis? Um, you know, that's what Paul is trying to uh, convey to Timothy to tell the Ephesian church. Um, and if we look further to chapter 2, verse 5, um, this thought takes us to the main thrust of this message. Uh, in urging the saints in Ephesus to pray and reach the lost, uh, Paul makes one of the most exclusive statements found in the Bible and, and that the world has ever known. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is an exclusive way, guys. There's one way, one gate, one door. Buddha's not the way. Amen? Krishna's not the way. Muhammad is not the way. You know, everybody's talking about ISIS and talking about all the things that are going on right now in the world and radical Islam and, uh, you know, but even at the end of the day, we have to know as believers that we possess the true way through Christ, you know, and it's our job. It's our responsibility, church, to let people know that not through violence, not through terror. Not through, uh, you know, not through, uh, uh, manipulation, if you will, but through love. Jesus said, you'll, you'll know my people by the love they have for one another. Amen. We're called to love our enemies. No other religion can say that, guys. No other religion can say that, uh, in order to win someone over, I have to love them, you know? It's always what you're hearing on the news that, you know, I, basically I have to force this person to go to my religion. Otherwise, I'm going to kill them. You know, that's that's every almost every religion, if you really think about it, except Christianity. So Paul says there's one God. There's no other way to salvation. There's no other God to pray to and to worship, to have eternal life. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35 explains this. It says, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, 
and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And if that's only Old Testament, we have New Testament as well. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse four says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol is no real existence and that there is no God but one. No God but one. Peter and John were talking to the Jewish elders and the scribes in Jerusalem. And they said in Acts chapter four, verse 12, they said, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. None. In other words, the only way to be saved is Jesus Christ. In reality, there are only two religious roads we can take, guys. The broad way of work salvation, which leads to condemnation, or the narrow way of faith in Christ, which leads to life. Two ways, guys. One way to life, other way to death. Are we conveying this to people? You know, I hear of the awesome outreaches that family life is doing, and that's that's the point, guys. The bontons, that's the point, is to convey that. You know, you convey that through relationships by loving people that, you know, you don't normally see on a regular basis. That's the point of these outreaches. That's the point of reaching out to the community is to convey to them that there's only one way to life. One way to life. Back in 1 Timothy, Paul continues his statement saying that there's one mediator between God and men. What is a mediator? That's the question I want to answer tonight. What is a mediator? A mediator is someone who intervenes between two parties. Um, They resolve a conflict or ratify a covenant. And Jesus Christ is the only mediator who can restore peace between God and sinners. Um, The writer of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 further explains, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. In other words, guys, the New Testament, the one Jesus mediates, it's a better covenant than the old one that Moses mediated. Moses mediated a covenant in the end that uh, through the law led to death, you know. And how many of you guys know, as a, as a side note, that even in the old covenant, the only way that you would be saved is by faith. Even in the old covenant, even through the law. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham still didn't earn it, guys. Still didn't earn it. It was still through Christ, through the future Christ, where the faith was placed to get salvation. So technically, as 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is and has always been only one true mediator between God and man. But there were three types of mediators in the Old Testament. Three types. Each one was selected by God for a specific task and then enabled to perform that task by the Holy Spirit's anointing. These three offices were prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Do you guys mind if we get a little deep tonight? That's kind of what Wednesday nights are for, right? You can get a little bit deeper, get a little bit more uh, into the word. So tonight I want to get, I want to get deep with you guys. 
uh, just for a few minutes. Uh, let's look at Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Um, as we look at the offices of Christ and redemption, we can see that he fulfills all three of these Old Testament roles uh, in one person. Let's look at Christ, our prophet. In the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who was a spokesman for God, someone who spoke for God, who was an agent of God's revelation. Uh, instead of God speaking directly to the congregation of Israel, he put his words into the mouths of men. Because how many of you guys know, if he wanted to, he could have just wrote his word in the clouds and everybody would have just been able to read it. You know, he didn't have to use men to reveal himself and to reveal what he has to say, but he chose to use men to do that. Um, so the prophet, he stood and faced the people. God stood behind him as an endorsement. This is what I have to say. Um, that posture indicated that the prophet was speaking on God's behalf. And if you've read through the Old Testament, you see this phrase pinned a lot because there were a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. The, the statement was, thus says the Lord. In the Old Testament, we see an enormous struggle between uh, the true prophets of God and false prophets. Uh, a lot of people followed false prophets in Old Testament times. A lot of uh, the, the people of Israel liked to follow the false prophets. Um, they were far more popular than the true prophets because their messages tickled the ears of, of their listeners. They basically told them what they wanted to hear. Um, Israel loved to hear those types of messages. True prophets like Jeremiah were often hated because the people didn't want to hear the true word of God. And you guys know that goes on today. You know, there's a lot of false teaching going on today. A lot of false uh, religion going on today. A lot of false preachers that go on and speak today. And they tickle the ears of their hearers. You know, they say oftentimes that, you know, if you follow Jesus, you know, life will get easier. If you follow Jesus, you know, you'll, you'll be promised a car, a nice big house, lots of money. You know, how many of you guys know that's not true? Jesus never promised that. He never promised that in the scriptures. You know, as a matter of fact, I didn't start having problems until I became a Christian. <laughs> you know, you, you flow with the world system for so long before you were saved. And all of a sudden God takes a hold of your life. And turns you around and now you're fighting a current. You're fighting a current the whole time. Fighting that current's not easy, guys. It's not easy. The problems start. The persecution starts. How many of you guys see it on your job sites? You know, how many of you guys, if you're outwardly, outwardly spoken about Christ, you know, no doubt you get opposition. I got opposition all the time. My nickname was, was Preacher Man. That's what they started to call me after a while. Preacher Man. Uh, you know, I kind of, it was a mocking type of term. It wasn't something that was, they were supposed to compliment me with or anything, but I started to take it as a compliment. It just shows that, well, well, at least, at least I'm preaching Christ to them. <laughs> Whether they accept it or reject it is on them, but at least I'm preaching Christ to them. That's where we need to be, guys. We need to be at that point. So anyway, Jeremiah had a lot of problems with that. A lot of uh, the Israelites hated Jeremiah. Uh, and when Jeremiah complained to God about it, uh, about the popularity of these false prophets, God said to him, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. 
In other words, God was saying, Jeremiah, you need to stop worrying about what these false prophets were saying. Uh, your task is to be my spokesman. Your task is to be faithful to what I am telling you. And that's that's the message I have for you guys today, church. Be faithful to what God is telling you through scripture. Be faithful to that. You know, there's going to be a lot of noise. It's going to be a lot of a lot of bad talk, a lot of false teaching around you. Uh, don't pay it any mind. Keep doing what you're called to do. Keep being a light in that dark world. You know, I praise God for a church that's so missions oriented and that that encourages you and builds you up while you're here, you know, on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. That's what that's for. I mean, this is like a spiritual pep rally, guys. You know, this is encourages your heart so you can go out and face those hardships in the world. So you could be uh, a light for Christ, a Christian, a little Christ. That's what Christian means out in the world. So uh, Paul in the New Testament uh, envisioned this season of the church having uh, itching ears, mentioned itching ears earlier. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, in the New Testament, guys, Christ is the prophet par excellence, if you will. He is the ultimate prophet. Um, I think we oftentimes emphasize Christ's office as a priest and king a lot, but sometimes we, we miss the mark uh, on looking at his role as a prophet. Um, because Jesus you know, not only proclaims the word of God, guys, he is the word of God. He is the word. He's not only the subject of prophecy, he's the object of prophecy as well. Um, he speaks of himself uh, whenever he uh, whenever he prophesied in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Uh, for instance, in John chapter 12, uh, Jesus talks about uh, not speaking on his own authority. He says, I'm not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. Guys, Jesus is the faithful prophet of the New Testament. Uh, he's the faithful prophet. He's the word of God, and he is the focal point of all the prophetic teaching of the Old Testament. Christ, our priest, and I want to move quickly through this because I don't have much time, but I, I, want, to, I want to look at these roles, uh, these mediatorial roles in Christ, and I'm going to tell you guys in a little bit what we're going to do with these roles, in case you guys are wondering. Christ our priest, uh, unlike the Old Testament prophets who faced the people when speaking for God, the priests faced God when they were speaking for the people. Um, like the prophet, the priest was the spokesman. He spoke for, for man. He spoke for Israel rather than, rather than to them. He made intercession on behalf of the people and prayed for them. Uh, additionally, the priests offered sacrifices uh, to God for the people. Uh, the chief sacrifices were offered on the Day of Atonement. How many of you guys have heard of the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament? Um, the high priest did these sacrifices. Uh, but before the high priest can make sacrifices for the people, uh, he had to make a sacrifice for his own sin before he could do that. Um, 
you know, and these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over and over and over again. It was never a one-time, one-time deal. Uh, it always had to be repeated. But guys, good news. Jesus Christ only had to do it once. He only had to do it once. He is our priest. Uh, the Old Testament text most frequently quoted in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Uh, it contains uh, an extraordinary statement about the character of the Messiah. Uh, the Lord, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning dew, your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in the New Testament, the, the, the author of Hebrews gives a lot of attention to the perfect priesthood of Christ. Uh, one of the evidence of, of the uh, higher nature of Jesus' priesthood is the fact that he didn't have to make any sacrifices for his own sin before he can enter the temple. He was sinless, the spotless Lamb of God. Amen? Uh, he was uh, for a treasure that was incorruptible, undefiled. He was a, the uh, spotless Lamb of God without blemish or any type of spot. Um, he's the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, continuing his work even to the even to this moment, not by continually offering these sacrifices because he only had to do it once, but he continually intercedes for us. He continually speaks for us in the heavenly holy of holies, in the temple of heaven. He speaks for us and makes atonement for us and intercedes for us. And lastly, I want to talk about Christ, our King. The third office of Christ is also talked about in Psalm 110. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Uh, this is the, the direct reference of the office of king. Uh, many have a hard time reconciling the office of king with that of a mediator. Uh, but we see it here in the Old Testament because this is the reason. The king of Israel in the Old Testament was not an autonomous king. That means he couldn't just do whatever he wanted. Like he did, he couldn't just make up his own laws and make up his own rules and rule Israel by that. Uh, God gave him the law. God gave him the rules to govern his people by. So he was not autonomous. In, in a sense, the king was a mediator as well because he was under that law. And he helped to establish and maintain the law of God, God to govern Israel. Um, and, you know, it's sad to say, looking back through the Old Testament, that the history of the kings uh, wasn't always that great of a history. You know, oftentimes they failed to do that. Um, you know, we find that the closest model of the ideal king in the Old Testament was David. But he was also corrupt. You remember Bathsheba? It's one instance of, his, of the corruption. But David introduced the royal golden age of the kingdom in Israel. He was still revered as the greatest king of Israel that ever lived. And the Israelites longed to see the day that uh, the Davidic kingdom would come back. Um, it says here in the, uh, in the book of Amos, 
God is talking to Amos and he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. God promised to raise up a king that surpassed David. That king is his own son. And he will reign forever and ever. So when Christ came, he proclaimed to be, the people proclaimed him to be the newborn king. That's why. Uh, He was crucified because he claimed to be king too. Uh, He said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Guys, God took Jesus and installed him at his right hand as the ruler of the whole universe, as the shepherd king whose reign will go on eternally. Guys, I know I gave you guys a a real brief picture of what that looks like, of how Jesus is a mediator in our lives. And I want to encourage you guys to go back and, and study these three offices for yourselves because there's a richness of truth that's hidden in there. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus died for my sin and, you know, and that's great. And, you know, we should be uh, beyond overjoyed for that. But at the same time, you know, there's so much more that's going on behind the scenes of how Jesus mediates for us. Because how many of you guys know we're nothing <laughs> in the grand scheme of things? We're nothing. But Jesus intervened for me. Someone that didn't deserve grace. Someone that didn't deserve goodness from God. Totally in my sin. But God intervened for me. Jesus mediate for me. He he intercedes for me even now in my life. Are Are we telling people this, guys? You know, I want to encourage each and every one of you, you know, in your sphere of influence, Are you telling someone about Jesus? Are you telling someone about about the the amazing things that he's done in your life? Because your testimony speaks a thousand words to people. Your story speaks a thousand words to people that, you know, sometimes, you know, a, a preacher can't do. You know, a preacher doesn't always have that influence that you do. So, and I want to encourage those. There may be some that, uh, that are not believers in here and that are maybe, um, you know, thinking about all this. You know, I want to encourage you and let you know that there's a God that loves you. And there's a God that loves you so much that he gave up everything. His own son, his most valuable possession to save you, a lowly sinner. And all you have to do is believe in faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead to prove he's the real deal? Because he rose from the dead, he's the real deal. Believe on that and submit to his lordship. He is the Lord, Jesus Christ. He's Lord whether you believe he's Lord or not. He's Lord. But all you have to do is submit to his lordship. And I say all you have to do, that's a big undertaking. It's a free gift, but it'll cost you everything. So I want to encourage you in that tonight, church. Let's, let's bow to the Lord in prayer as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know the hearts of each and every person here tonight. Lord, and I pray that 
Lord, your word will speak truth in their lives, Lord. And Lord, that you would, Lord, let us have courage and boldness to speak the name of Christ in our world, in our sphere of influence, in our family, Lord, because lives hang in the balance. And Jesus, I I come to you right now, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, speak to their hearts. Lord, show them, reveal to them how you have intervened in their lives. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would uh, have our faith continue to be built to perfect faith. Lord, that each and every one of us would actually fulfill the calling that we have on our lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you so much for your word. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having us tonight.